You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I want you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. And we want to replace this myth with the truth. So if the first myth is marriage is obsolete, we're going to replace it with this truth this morning. Marriage is good. There's a one-point message this morning. Can you handle it? One point, one scripture this morning. It's like, man, we're getting out of church early today. Oh, you haven't been coming very long, have you? So uh, we got one, we got one verse, we got one point, but we got a lot to say. So uh, let's read this verse, Proverbs eighteen twenty-two. Everybody got your eyes on the Bible? Got your Bible open or you got your Bible on? Good. All right. Here we go. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. That's right. There's a couple of you paying attention now, okay? Now, some of you men totally missed that opportunity. I don't know what you were thinking after I read that, but this, it, that's so good. We're going to back it up and give you another run at that, okay? Here we go. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now you're paying attention. All right, that's good. Now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use this verse to combat the myth that marriage is obsolete. You say, Trent, really five weeks of marriage? I mean, you, why? Why are we doing this? Well, let me just let you know here. Um, you know, sometimes what I'm doing up here is pastoring. There are other times what I'm doing up here is parenting. Now, we've shared our lives, our lives as a pastor and his family. It's just kind of an open book. It's kind of like living in a fishbowl. Well, here's what's happening. In 19 days, one of the fish is getting married. And that doesn't mean we lose the fish. That just means there's another fish going in the fishbowl, okay? So, uh, so here they are, Brooke, who led worship a few minutes ago up here, and David Dunbar are getting married on June the 22nd. Now, I told you that sometimes I'm pastoring, sometimes I'm parenting. For the next five weeks, I am parenting. I am only talking to two people. (laughs) The rest of you are allowed to eavesdrop on Pastor Dad as he prepares these two people for marriage. I I only got 19 days and I got three sermons left, and so I'm maximizing my time. They, people have asked me, he's like, well, Trent, are you gonna like officiate the ceremony? How you do that, you walk her down the aisle, how do you do all that? There's some juggling involved, but they've told me, now, Dad, we know you, and we know you have a lot to say on marriage, but we, we don't want like a three-hour ceremony, so you've only got like 12 minutes. I'm like, that's fine, but I do have a five-week marriage series, so the the wedding is actually starting now. This is the beginning of a five-week message on marriage that will culminate at the wedding, okay? And so um, the first thing I want to let Brooke and David know is marriage is good. 
Now, if you're married, would you just help me preach that? It would just help me do a little parenting here on the count of three. Would you let Brooke, they're, they're actually seated right back over here, trying to be inconspicuous, but it's impossible when your dad's the pastor and they're pointing at you right back there. So, so uh, would you just let them know on the count of three that marriage is not obsolete. Marriage is good. Thank you. One, two, three. I put the three at the end. So that's what we're going after here. Marriage is good. We just read it here from Scripture. There's another reason that we're going to do this. I, I would kind of assume there are some people in the room that might need to hear that as well because you're having trouble believing that marriage is good. Another reason that we're doing this is because everybody in the culture has something to say about marriage, love, sex, relationships. Everybody's talking about this. Every movie preaches a message about marriage. Every love song preaches a message about marriage. And our culture has no idea what it's talking about on these subjects. It shouldn't shock us that the same culture that flooded the internet with pornography and produced filthy shades of gray has created a generation of sexual predators that's now actually being exposed by the Me Too movement. We are reaping what we've sown, and it's coming back to implode upon us as a culture. Maybe somebody ought to stand up and say, hey, I've got an idea. What if, just what if, I know it sounds crazy, what if a man committed his entire life and his entire sexuality to one woman for a lifetime and they had kids together and those kids actually grew up with their biological father and their biological mother who were committed to each other even through the hard times they got they somehow they just worked it out with love and patience and forgiveness and forbearance anybody think that might help a little bit well listen you're not going to hear that outside of a church so as long as you're in church, you're going to hear it here. Marriage is not obsolete. Marriage is good. Everybody's talking about marriage. And let me ask you this. If marriage is so obsolete, why is it that two billion people watched Meghan and Harry do that? <laughs> How many of you men were actually awakened by your wives at 4.30 in a, on a Saturday morning to watch that happen. That's because she wanted you to get a clue that that's what she wants this thing to look like. Marriage is good. That's why that little girls love the fantasy of Disney princesses. And that's why they love to see the charming prince risk his life to rescue the damsel in distress. That's why billions of dollars are written and sung and purchased that have an endless supply of lyrics about love, relationship, sex, and marriage. And it's why we pay way too much money for weddings. Let me just repeat that for a second here. That's why we pay way too much money for weddings and pay way too little attention to the actual marriage. People have asked me, Trina, are you going to be emotional? Are you going to be able to get through the wedding? I was like, uh, I'll probably be okay. I, I mean, I, I'm, I may surprise myself. I may be a blubbering mess. But I am way more emotional about the marriage than I am the wedding. Did you hear that, David? I am way more emotional about the marriage than I am the wedding. 
Did you know the Bible is full of wedding and marriage imagery? If you open, you say, I'm going to read through the Bible. Remember the Bible? I'm going to read the Bible. You open the page, you won't get to the second page without going to a wedding. The Bible begins with a wedding. And if you finally get to the end of it, do you know what you will read about on the last page of your Bible? A wedding. Do you know what you will find between the first page and the second page? It is the story of a love relationship. It is a story of a father who sent a son to win a bride who was pretty unattractive, ugly bride. He overcame her resistance. He drew himself to, he drew, he, he, well, this is what he did. He (laughs) drew her to himself at the risk of his life. He laid down his life to enter into a covenant love relationship that he will spend the rest of his life washing her and cleansing her and beautifying her. That's the story of the Bible. God didn't create um, marriage. God, God didn't call Jesus the groom and the church the bride to illustrate marriage. He invented marriage as a way to reflect and image the story of the Bible. That's what's at risk when you give up on marriage, you are giving up on the entire story of the gospel. If you watched the royal wedding, it was a Christian wedding. Two billion people had the opportunity, if they had eyes to see it, the story of not just a prince and a princess, but the ultimate prince pictured loving his beautiful bride. Every Christian marriage is a preview of coming attractions when the bridegroom and the bride, the church, will consummate themselves together in perfect relationship. Another reason we're doing this series is because we are a disciple-making church. And about half the disciples that come to our church are married. I would like to see those of you that are married right now. If you're married, would you please stand up? I want to know where you're at. Married people, stand up. I see some of you like looking at each other and like, are we still? I mean, it's been a long time. Are we still good? Yeah, we're good. Okay, great. So these are the married people. And um, uh, we want you to have a seat now. I realize that not everybody stood. And so let me talk to those of you that were seated. Um, Do not check out on me in this series. This series is not necessarily like how not to be so miserable in marriage series. It's not one of those series, okay? This is an apologetic for what God created marriage to be. Most of you probably hope to be married. Some of you long to be married. And some of you are already saying, if I got to sit and listen to you talk to me for five weeks about how I am not what you are describing, I'm not going to make it. Don't, Don't give up. Did you know that the two greatest champions for marriage in the Bible were both single? Jesus and the Apostle Paul. Paul, we think, was married at one time because he was a Pharisee. So he was either a widow or 
he was divorced. Maybe his wife deserted him when he was converted to Christ. We don't really know the story there. But Paul was a champion of marriage. He wrote the most about marriage in uh, the New Testament. And Jesus certainly, as a single man, was very pro-marriage. Some of you are not just single. You're single again. You were married. You were single, you were married, now you're single again. And it may be hard for you to listen because you think, man, I just think of the pain and the wounds and the scars. I hope what you will hear is a compassionate heart that elevates what most people will shoot for in marriage, and yet some of you have had trouble attaining. There's compassion here, and hopefully you can, you can benefit from the strong marriages around you. And you may want to be married again. I want to say at the beginning of the series, are there grounds for divorce? Yes, Jesus said the ground for divorce is a hard heart, which is evidenced by two things, adultery and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And so some of you have gone through those things. And I hope that maybe you found the healing and the compassion of Jesus here in the midst of a church. There are other people here. Um, you were single, you were married, you were single, and now you're married again. You're remarried. I just want to say to you, whether you're in your first marriage or your fifth marriage, we're doing everything we can to ensure this is your last marriage, okay? Uh, we want to get it right. Um, there are some people here, no doubt, that are same-sex attracted, I'm so glad you're here, and you're probably wondering, is this a place where I will be accepted? Am I going to be condemned? I want to let you know that unapologetically, we have a high view of the Bible, so we accept the Bible's definition of a one-man, one-woman, one-lifetime marriage. That's what we're talking about when we talk about marriage. But you may be wondering, like, why do I have these emotions? Why do I have these feelings? Why do I have this orientation? Let me tell you this. Every person that stood a few minutes ago and every person that was seated... Every one of us was born with an orientation away from God that led us into all kinds of things that God disapproved of. What we've done is we've, brun, we've, we've brought all of that disorientation and brokenness, our sexual brokenness, we've brought it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and said, we are a mess, we want you to reorient us. Reorient us. We want to find our identity in Christ, not in what we feel internally or even externally. We want our identity to be in Christ. And so this marriage, this series would be a, a series for you as well. There are some people here who are married. You've been married one time, been married for a long time, and you're stuck. And you're not thriving, and you're settling for less than what God intended it to be because you're believing some myths about marriage. We want to dismantle those. And then there are some people here, I know you, I know you, who, you are making marriage look awesome. I am so grateful for those of you that are doing it God's way. And if you are one of those marriages that's modeling this, I want you to go and spend some time with Brooke and David uh, in the next five weeks and show them how you do it. Why do we say marriage is obsolete? Well, that's what the culture is saying to us. A few years ago, there was a study done. 40% of unmarried adults believe that marriage is becoming obsolete. And yet half of them hope to be married one day. Kind of schizophrenic. In 1960, 72% of all Americans were married. Today, that number is less than half. There's more single people in America than there are married people. People are giving up on marriage. 
And only 20% of Americans get married before the age of 30. People are delaying getting married. The good news is they're living longer, so they're married about the same time that we used to be, but they're just living longer. And so there's a, a lot of things that are happening surrounding marriage. I remember hearing a lot of sermons in church where the preacher was just so upset and so fired up about the, the increasing divorce rate in America. The divorce rate is not increasing anymore. The divorce rate is declining fast. Is that good news? You know why it's declining fast? Because nobody's getting married anymore. We've told people, some friends of ours, Andrea and I, we've told some friends, hey, our daughter's getting married, and they're like, why? People still do that? Yeah. And so for people of this next generation, the 20-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, they still want love, they still want companionship, they certainly want sex, but they don't believe that marriage is necessary to find any of that anymore. They believe marriage is obsolete. Hey, anybody like me, you had this really strange book show up in your mailbox in the last few weeks? Had yellow pages? Anybody get one of those? I was the only one. I took this in. I was so excited. I said, the new phone books have arrived. The new phone books have arrived. My teenagers were like, what's a phone book? <laughs> Marriage is just as obsolete to some of our teenagers as a phone book because they have found alternative ways to get what they think marriage should provide. And so there's porn that's a substitute for sex and marriage. There's couples hooking up sexually through apps on our phones like Tinder. And then there's people pretending to be married without the commitment. So, so why would people believe that marriage is obsolete? Well, here's some reasons. First of all, marriage would be, uh, people would believe marriage is obsolete because some people think God is obsolete. People are giving up on marriage because people are giving up on God. I don't expect anyone who hasn't entered into a covenant love relationship with Jesus to be interested in a covenant love relationship with an imperfect human being. I think it would be wrong of me to actually say, you really should commit your whole life to this person. They're imperfect. They're going to hurt you. It's going to require a lot of forgiveness. Good luck with that. I wouldn't expect you to really be interested in that until you had a covenant love relationship vertically with Jesus in which you realized you're not real attractive and you're, Jesus had to use a lot of forgiveness and love and initiative to get through your resistance and your unattractiveness. And once you realize you are the object of covenant love vertically, now that becomes the motivation for you to thrive in a covenant love relationship with another imperfect human being. I am not interested in trying to convince you that you think marriage is good until you realize God is good. And once you have entered into a covenant love relationship with God, then you will gravitate toward things that God says is good. So if you've given up on God, I wouldn't expect you to really think that his plan for human relationships is something you would be interested in, which may explain why you're really not that interested in something God says is good. You've got a vertical problem, not a horizontal problem. Some people think God is obsolete. Other people have never seen a good marriage. 
a gospel-driven, forgiving, and forbearing marriage. If you grew up listening to your parents cuss each other out each night and throw things at one another, if you were shuffled between your mom's house during the week and your dad's house on the weekend while trying not to be resentful of your stepmom that was sleeping with your dad and your stepdad that was sleeping with your mom, if you found your home being invaded by aliens, otherwise known as stepbrothers and stepsisters, while you were dragged between four sets of grandparents on Thanksgiving and New Year's and Christmas, if you've been kept informed of high-profile adulterous scandals in Hollywood, Washington, and the church, if you got your idea of love, sex, dating, and marriage from a romantic comedy where the couple seems to have so much fun and so much sexual excitement without marriage, if you've never seen a good marriage, I wouldn't blame you a bit for being a little bit cynical at my claim that marriage is good. That's why you think marriage is obsolete. You've never seen a good marriage. And you are being informed and educated about myths regarding marriage. Some people are pretending to be married. The percentage of married Americans has dropped each year since the 1950s. And the number of cohabitating but unmarried couples has risen 1,000% in the last 40 years. You say, well, Trent, I mean, come on. This is, this is a wise practice here. You, you should move in, see if you're compatible, see if you can work things out to see if you want to like, enter into that like, big commitment of marriage. I mean, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it, would you? Well, no, you wouldn't drive a car without test driving it. But your relationship with your car is a performance-based relationship. You want to see if this car can do for you what you want it to do for you. Now, if you're entering into a marriage like it's a performance-based relationship, your marriage is not going to last as long as your car. You say, well, I'm, trying, I'm just trying to see if it's compatible. Listen, you, what you think is a myth. What is true sociologically doesn't back up your claim that this is actually going to help you in marriage. As a matter of fact, studies reveal that couples that live together, generally the vast majority of them break up in five years. And couples who live together prior to being married, they are twice as likely to divorce after marriage. It's not helping you. It's actually hurting you. And if you are having sex with your live-in boyfriend or live-in girlfriend, do you know what you're actually communicating to them? You are communicating this. I am the kind of person who will have sex with someone I'm not married to. I am demonstrating that because I'm having sex with you and we're not married. So let's say you finally get married. Okay, we tie the knot, all the I do's, great. Now on the other side of marriage, do you realize you are married to a person who has communicated to you, I am a person who will have sex with somebody I'm not married to? Do you see how you've eroded the trustworthiness that is actually the foundation for marriage? 
How much confidence can you have in the character of the person you've married if they will have sex with a person they're not married to? It's not helping you. It's hurting you. People say, well, we don't need a piece of paper to prove our love for one another. Oh, yes, you do. Let me tell you why. That marriage license is a legally binding document that records something that you will one day want to forget, namely your irrevocable promise to stay married. Remember all that stuff about richer, poorer, sickness, health, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live? Remember all that stuff? Yeah, you signed your name on a piece of paper that when you finally get to the poorer part and the sicker part of marriage, people can pull that piece of paper out and say, look, dude, you promised. The state actually has an interest in marriage lasting a lifetime. That's why do we go to the trouble to go to the courthouse and pay the money and file the thing on record at the courthouse. David, have you done that yet? Still waiting on that. It's coming up soon. I need you to get that done. All right, so anyway, you need the piece of paper, all right? You need the piece of paper because we want to remind you on the days that you want to forget those things. And you know what is so tragic to me as a pastor? I am finding an increasing number of people that come to church, lift their hands in worship, study their Bible, profess Jesus as their Lord, and yet demonstrate Jesus is not Lord of their sexuality. They've compartmentalized their Christianity from their sexuality. Jesus does not give you the right to do that. Jesus is Lord over all. And if he's not Lord over all, he's not Lord at all. If you are living together and you are not married, you have two options if you call yourself a Christian. First option, move out. Section, second option, get married. Now. Th those are your only two options. And if you are not going to move out or you're not going to get married, your third option is this. Stop calling yourself a Christian. Listen, one of the joys we have around here is watching couples kind of come in. You know, they, they do a little toe dipping to see if it's safe around here. And then they'll step in a little closer and they love what's going on. They're being taught by the Bible. They're experiencing Jesus and his presence in our worship. And then sometimes they come to the membership class and they'll, they'll fill out the paperwork for membership. And we look and it's like, hmm, we have two different last names, but we have one address. What do we do with that? Well, we love you very much to tell you, you've got two options. You need to break up in obedience to Christ, not break up, but move out, or get married in obedience to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, it, it never fails. A couple of times a year, after a good, loving conversation with a pastor, people say, you are absolutely right. We need to stop pretending to be married, and we need to actually commit to a covenant love relationship. One of my favorite couples in our church, Mike and Lynn Norred. How many of you know Mike and Lynn? 
They're your favorite people too. And uh, the, when Mike started coming to our church, it, it, it was back, it, we were probably three years old as a church. It's back when we were meeting at North Point Elementary School. And Mike started coming. I took my car in to where uh, Mike works and I was having car trouble and I was trying to explain to him what was going on with the car, but he wasn't listening to me. He pulled out his smartphone and he started asking me these theological questions because he'd been listening to my sermons online. He's like, what, this word justification, what does that mean? And I was like, well, it's Mike, my car's messed up. I don't have time to talk about all this stuff. My car's messed up over here. It's like, no, I really want to talk about this. Like, okay, well then tomorrow, let me come back and I'll get you and we'll go get some chips and salsa because justification is best discussed over chips and salsa every time, okay? So we went and we talked about how Mike could have a personal covenant love relationship with Jesus Christ. He told me in that conversation he was a recovering alcoholic. Mike had been married three times and the woman that he had been living with for the last 11 years, he was not married to. He said, what do I do about all that? I'm like, well, let's first of all work on the vertical. Let's get you in right relationship to God and then we'll come back and talk about the horizontal over another round of chips and salsa. So sure enough, in that Mexican restaurant, Mike bowed his head, he confessed Christ as Lord, he repented of sin, and he was gloriously saved over glorious salsa. And so he, he started coming to church, he's there every Sunday, and then pretty soon I started to see Lynn show up at church. Lynn had been married three times. Lynn hadn't been in church in 30 years, and she'd never been in a Protestant church. She thought we were weird. Now, we are weird, but we're not that weird. But we were really weird to Lynn. And Lynn wouldn't make eye contact with me. And I mean, she was kind of scared of me. It was funny. I would look out during worship, and Mike would have his hands in the air. And he's worshiping the Lord. And he'd look over at Lynn, and her hands are by his side. Mike would go, get your hands up. You know, so it's like, what are we doing? But, but then she starts... She starts hearing the gospel, and she start, God starts warming her heart. And, and I would go to her, and I was like, Lynn, how you doing? She's like, I'm not ready. I'm like, I didn't ask you if you were ready. I just like, how you doing? You know, she's like, she, finally, after about six months, she, she came to me, and she gulped her heart. She said, I'm ready. Like, for chips and salsa? We, we could go get some chips and salsa. She's like, no, I'm ready to receive Christ. And so we went to a corner of the gym, and she bowed her head, and she received Christ. And as soon as she said amen, I looked at her and I said, Lynn, is Jesus Lord of your life? And she said, yes. I said, Mike, is Jesus Lord of your life? He said, yes. I said, then he's got to be Lord of your relationship. And you have two options. You can either move out or you can get married. They chose the second option. Thirteen days later, we met together and we had a nice little wedding ceremony. And they were married, and from that moment on, they have been models for the rest of us. It's not a perfect marriage, but how to forgive and to forbear and to pour into the lives of others. And if that needs to be your story, we, you just let us know. We don't even need 13 days. I mean, you just let us know. We'll figure out a way to make this happen for you. Why are we saying that? Because some people are pretending to be married without the commitment. Let's look at this verse and just unpack it word by word here. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Yeah, some of you weren't paying attention very good there. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. This verse kind of identifies a missing piece in a man. Now, if you're female here, you can turn that around, and obviously you can read it, she who finds a husband finds a good thing. But from the beginning, we find out that there, there are men 
who need to find a wife. The first man was perfect, but at the same time, he was incomplete. I don't even know how to explain that to you. Adam had the goodness of God stamped into him, but after he found a wife, God said, now it's very good. So he was good, he was perfect, but he was incomplete until God brought a wife to him. And this man found a treasure to complete him. Men are at their best when they are hunting for treasure. And men are at their worst when they are passive and don't realize the treasure right in front of them. And men are at their worst when they take their leadership role, the role that God created them for, and abuse it and begin to intimidate or dominate rather than treasure the woman that God has brought into their lives. There are some women listening to me right now, and you're being abused by a man who is abusing his leadership role in your life. I want to tell you something. Listen to me. You need to get to a safe place. Remove yourself from that situation. You need to call the police, and then you need to let the church know, let the elders know. If you don't feel comfortable coming to one of the male elders, you find one of our wives, you find another trusted woman in this church, and we will help you get to a safe place. And then we will help him stop abusing you. And so... He who finds a wife finds a good thing. The word finds there is an important word. It means reaches out. It's not that he just kind of stumbles over it. I mean, he actually grasps the good gift. He receives the treasure that God has given him. It means he assumes responsibility for the wife. Proverbs 31.10 says this, Who can find a virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies. Woo. Need to follow Paul's lead down here on the front row, fellas. <laughs> if you get close enough to Andrea this morning, ask to see her wedding ring, and she'll, t she'll show it to you. You'll see it's got a nice diamond on the top of it there, but around the wedding band, what you will find is rubies. Now, I know that what's in vogue today is that couples like go to the jewelry store and the wife kind of picks out a ring, you know, and they kind of work out, you know, the thing there. I didn't do that. I wanted to be the one that picked out her ring. So I took all $384 that I had saved up and I walked into the jewelry store and I was like, I need a ring, but it needs to have some rubies on it. And so on the day that I asked Andrea to marry me, I placed that ring on her finger and I said, it has rubies because every time you look at it, I want you to remember that your price to me is far above those rubies. One of my finer moments as a husband. <laughs> I see some of you single guys out there like, oh, write that down, oh, pretty good. I married Andrea in 1994. Here's what we looked like in 1994. Uh, just the same as we do now, actually. And um, that was 23 years ago. Um, let me tell you how I found Andrea. I had become the first youth pastor at First Baptist Church in Newport, Arkansas. 
town of 8,000, okay? So roughly 4,000 women in that town. Roughly 3,997 were either single or divorced and 70 years old. And so the, the possibility of me finding a virtuous woman in that town were very low until God did a gracious thing. Our, the pastor of our church announced that we were going to host a two-week life-action revival crusade, and they were bringing this big team from Buchanan, Michigan to Newport, Arkansas, and uh, half of the team members were college-age single team members, and half of the college-age single team members were female. And so before the actual meeting started, they sent a representative to Newport about six weeks ahead of the team to get us all prepared. And I remember we had a staff meeting, my senior pastor, my music director, and my executive pastor, and I sat with this nice man named Don from Life Action. And Don began to introduce us, kind of give us the little biography of each team member. And as he got to the single girls, my pastor, my music director, and my executive pastor began to ask questions about the particular girls because they knew I was single. And they said, well, can you tell me how tall she is? <laughs> what color eyes does that one have? They're trying to hook me up. I'm like, God, it is all about our vertical relationship with the Lord during the revival meeting. You, you do not need to be focused on this. I tried to correct them. But... Um, Six weeks later, the team arrived, and one of the young ladies on the team, her name was Andrea Green. She was the only team member on the team that wasn't doing anything because she'd been sick, and she, during the training where everybody else was setting up equipment and everything, she didn't know how to do all that, so she was just standing around. She looked like she needed a friend, and so I went over and talked to her. Our first conversation was about a former girlfriend of mine named... Christy, um, who went to Sanford University with Andrea. Well, she didn't really like her. So uh, that's the way our conversation uh, started. And uh, over the next two weeks, we didn't, I didn't spend any more time with her than I did anybody else. And they packed up the bus and they left. I thought, well, I'll never see her again. Six months later, I joined Life Action and began traveling at the exact same moment that Andrea quit Life Action and went back home to Huntsville, Alabama, but she came back for a week up in this area to get her stuff because she'd left her stuff up here, and we began talking, and we decided we'd stay in touch, and so um, I started traveling that year. We saw each other maybe five times on a weekend or something like that. I thought that was sufficient, so I asked her to marry me, and um, <laughs> then uh, during the eight-month engagement period, we saw each other an additional three times and then on December the 17th, 1994, we got married. And here I am doing a series on marriage, and I'm still learning. But uh, you're learning along with me here. But I'm just here to tell you, marriage is a good thing. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. The next word goes on and talks about a wife. Notice this does not say he who finds a girl finds a good thing. Not a girlfriend, a wife. What, what turns a girl into a wife? Isn't that a good question? Like, actually, what triggers this 
this change? What turns a girl into a wife? Well, it's one word, commitment. Commitment. First, God turns a boy into a man, and then that man turns a girl into a wife by committing his whole life to her. Not just committing his body, but committing his finances, committing his mind, his emotion, committing his time, his space. You should never commit your body to someone who is unwilling to commit their whole life to you and turn your status from girl into husband, boy. I'm sorry, girl. That's another message for another time. For girl into a wife and boy into a husband. And it says this is a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. I don't even need the Bible to convince you of that. Sociologists have discovered marriage is a good thing. A couple of years ago, I was walking through an airport, and I saw this Time Magazine article that um, says this. This is how to stay married and why. So Time Magazine is going to tell you why you should stay married. You know what they found? They discovered what is universally, irrefutably true. Married people live longer are physically healthier, have fewer signs of mental illness, make more money, build more wealth, have more satisfying sex more often than those who cohabitate or are divorced. Divorced men are twice as likely as married men to die from heart disease, stroke, hypertension, and cancer. David Larson, president of the National Institute of Healthcare Research, says... The impact of divorce on your health is like starting to smoke a pack of cigarettes every day. The chances of a middle-aged married man making it to his 65th birthday are 9 in 10. The chances of a middle-aged single or divorced man making it to his 65th birthday are 6 in 10. Carl Pillemer, a Cornell University social scientist, studied 700 elderly married people. He said 100% of them told him the long marriage was the best thing in their lives. But all of them also said at some point, marriage is hard, really hard. But do you hear what they're saying? It's hard, but it's worth it. If you will stay married long enough, you will eventually reap the rewards of your commitment. Another man, John Gottman, one of the nation's leading marriage researchers, found that the longer couples are married, the more the sense of kindness returns to their marriage, so much so that later in life, your relationship becomes very much like it was during courtship. Do you remember how much you played around, how much fun you had during courtship, just carefree? That's what it's like when you're so old, you don't have children to get in the way anymore. Marriage is good for you. Marriage is a good thing, but marriage is not the ultimate thing. I want you to hear this. 
we, we make a mistake when we say that marriage is obsolete. We also make a, a mistake when we say that marriage is ultimate. There's something more important, more significant than marriage, and that is your vertical relationship with the Lord. And so if you are unmarried, that's great. As a matter of fact, Paul had some wonderful things to say about being single. Not only did he say that marriage is good, but in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, he said this, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. And he meant inside marriage or outside marriage. It's just good to be single. And he promotes the virtues of singleness, that you can serve the Lord unencumbered with all kinds of responsibility for another person. You can take risk that you wouldn't take because you're trying to protect another person. Marriage is a good thing. It's not the ultimate thing. But marriage is good because it was designed by a good God to reflect the relationship that Jesus, the bridegroom, has with the church, his bride. And marriage is good for you. And when I say that, I don't mean like, your mom used to say, broccoli is good for you. I mean the way your pastor says, Krispy Kreme donuts are good for you. It is good. And then marriage is good for children. What would you say mar- that uh, children need? What are the irreducible minimums of what children need to thrive? I mean, after they're fed and cared for, what, what would they need? Love? Security, safety, commitment, identity. Do you know what we're describing? That's called a marriage. God's plan for children is to grow up in the home of their biological mother and their biological father who are committed to one another for a lifetime. Children need both a mom and a dad to discover their sexual identity. Children from single or divorced homes are more at risk of being poor, unhealthy, having mental illness, not graduating from college, and getting divorced themselves later in life. With so much talk in our culture about how to prevent school shootings and poverty and gang violence and sexual abuse, how often do you hear any of those talking heads say something like this. We, we ought to have a man marry a mother, ma- marry a, a woman, and together have children and raise that child so that they understand how to resolve conflict, how to forgive, how to forbear. But who says that? We race off to what kind of legislation we're going to pass to try to manage things that are broken because somebody thought marriage was obsolete. It's the solution to so many of our problems. The last thing the verse says is this. When you do it God's way, you obtain favor from the Lord. When you do it God's way, you know what God does? God commands His blessing right there. I'm going to make it I'm going to make it easier. I'm going to remove that obstacle. I'm going to command my blessing. I'm I'm going to provide protection from sources of, of danger around that man and that woman and those children. That's favor, undeserved grace from God because you did it God's way. I want you to stand together with me. I want to pray for you. Anytime you're talking about this subject, I know I'm hitting on nerves. I am 
stepping over landmines. I'm creating questions that don't have easy answers. And that's why I simply want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit would minister to you in whatever state you're in. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Would you just simply affirm the truth of what God says from your heart to His? Would you just agree with God? Marriage is good. And marriage is possible for you. Some of you may need to turn from those alternatives that you've been seeking to find companionship, sexual fulfillment, embrace God's plan so that God can command His favor in your direction. Lord, I pray for every uh, single person here right now, and uh, whether they're single, single again, God, would you heal wounds by your Spirit? Would you give them a heart for marriage? Put hope where there's hopelessness. Give them trust in your timing. Give them purity. And I pray for every married couple that maybe is stuck, maybe been diverted by so many other things. I pray, God, that you would heal those marriages. Pray for the one here that's closest to divorce, and I pray, God, that you would intervene with new levels of forbearance, forgiveness, a fresh start for many. We pray all these things so that the marriages represented here that name the name of Christ can shine bright in a very dark world that believes marriage is actually obsolete. So use our marriages all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.